Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. In this Blue Moon episode, we'll be discussing the business of sex blogging, writing erotica, and sex tech design. I'll be interviewing Tabitha Rain, an award-winning author, artist, and sex tech designer. We also review the book, The Surrender Experiment, My Journey into Life's Perfection by Michael A. Singer. The episode ends with a guided meditation with affirmations for following your dream. And if you'd like to have an extended version of this meditation, check out the meditation section on my website, venusohara.org. But first, let me share with you my own journey as an erotic content creator. It's not often I get to meet someone who does what I do for a living. And I had this experience with Tabitha Rain, who is our guest today. And it was so enlightening to speak with her and share and compare experiences, compare and contrast. It's very interesting how we've both ended up doing very similar things in, um, for example, writing, taking erotic selfies and also designing sex toys. This is a jo- this is a job that I created for myself, but it wasn't really, I didn't think about, um, it wasn't premeditated. It was very natural and organic how it all came about. And it seems to be quite similar to with um, Tabitha's experience, which we will find out more about in our interview. But for me, I wanted to go over my journey again, if you are not familiar with it, because people always ask me, how did you end up in this? You know, it's such a strange thing to devote your life to be talking about sexuality. And for me, it wasn't really something I chose consciously. I think it chose me because it's not something I would have chosen consciously because I had a lot of fear, fear of thinking, what are people going to think of me? I, um, for example, family, friends, how will I be judged? How will this impact my life? And it got to the point where my fear of not doing it was greater. I've always been very interested in sexuality from a very young age, um, even when I was denied good um, quality sex education at school. I was very curious. I was always reading everything I could find about sexuality, about orgasms. And I found this information in women's magazines. And I was curious to find out how my body worked and about pleasure as well. I wanted to know as much as possible. And for me, that seemed very natural. And I was kind of more intrigued when people were not curious about this thing, this, this urge that seemed to kind of influence many of your life decisions, your life decisions about relationships and just how you leave, live your life in general. And sex, sexual energy is not just about attraction and your romantic life or your sentimental life, but according to Napoleon Hill, it's also your magnetism, your charisma, the way you walk, the way you talk. And for me, it's also an expression of my creativity, because if, you if you're into the sacral, the, um, the uh, chakra system, and of course, the sacral chakra is the one that is um, that corresponds with sexuality and creativity. 
And for me, I kind of cultivated this interest in my personal life through my relationships, but also I was an avid reader of magazines and books. I was really interested in erotic memoirs, um, some of the erotic memoirs of the early 2000s. And I always found that my own sexuality was not really expressed in a in any medium that I could find. I found that a lot of erotic memoirs were kind of coming from women who were sharing stories of complete promiscuity, acting like how men are applauded to act, um, traditionally speaking. And that's not something that I really um, identified with. For me, it was always about connecting with myself and connecting with pleasure and making my pleasure the protagonist of something. Not It wasn't just about having lots of sex with lots of people, even though people might assume that. But it's always, always about pleasure. And when I was in, um, I, I was looking for work in 2004 and I wanted to find a job in an export department because I would, would be able to use my languages here in Barcelona and get a taste for sales because I wasn't into kind of hard, cold sales, uh, but I was interested in kind of um, international travel, going to um, fairs and um, trade fairs and um, using my languages, basically. So I found a job in a in a printer, in, a, in an offset printer. And although I'm not very technical, I love books. I love the physical. I love physical books, how they smell, how they feel. And I printed out a list of publishers in London, book publishers. And I remember just um, on the Yahoo business directory, and I remember looking at this list and out of the list popped erotic and fetish. And I actually made it my mission to target some erotic and fetish publishers in London. And I went to London um, for a week and I met with many magazine uh, publishers, book publishers, um, to talk about printing, about different paper grammages and binding techniques. And I just love sitting around um, um, in, in meetings and just discussing these things while terminology around sexuality was just being spoken in the room as if it was the most normal thing in the world. And I thought, wow, this is exactly how I see sexuality. It's just something really, really normal. And um, after a while, I actually started um, fetish modeling with one of my clients in London. It was so much fun. I used to go to London on business to to visit my clients who were printing their books in Spain. And then I would also do a day of modeling. And I kind of really enjoyed the um, the process of being in front of the camera and also just kind of um, not being, creating an erotic image that was non-explicit. That's something that I, I really enjoyed. And I've always been interested in fine art and Venusian imagery in general um, from a spectator's perspective, um, um, perspective, a spectator's perspective, because I was always drawing and, and painting when I was growing up. I just studied fine art. But this was me going in front of the camera instead. And um as I had a very Venusian and have a very new Venusian um, physique with um, that red hair and white skin, very much like what you would find in Renaissance art, I knew exactly how I wanted to be seen in, in the photos that I was producing. So I wasn't just a model, I was also more like an art director. So I kind of created this whole body of work, literally. <laughs> and, um, and very soon after, it was my dream to kind of create a blog to showcase this work. And... Um, I remember after the printer I was working in, I started to work in real estate at the worst time you could possibly work in real estate from 2007 to 2009. 
And I didn't sell that much um, because there was nothing selling at the time. But I did um, manage to spend my days with very affluent people who had online businesses. And I remember just being so, so, so inspired by them. I was inspired by their the way the control they had over their over their lives and time, especially because I'd always been, you know, have working um, normal office hours, having having to get up early in the morning, rush my breakfast and and shower and get on transport and be in an office all day. And that didn't really sit well with my biorhythms because uh, I'm not really a morning person. Whereas the people I was um, spending my days with in real estate were just very, they had online businesses, they were kind of in control of their time and they could decide when to do things if they wanted to have a long lunch on a Tuesday, they could, they didn't have to kind of check with the HR department or a boss or anything like that. And I really loved that, that sense of freedom. And also with this growing um, collection of photos that I had, I put two and two together and I thought I'm going to start my own blog. And also one of my clients in, um, when I was in real estate, was a WordPress guru. He was just amazing. And he taught me everything I know about WordPress. And at first we used to spend days together, kind of co-working as friends, and he would show me many things. And I was uh, I was quite a fast learner. So in um, the 19th of July, 2009, I launched my website with a lot of guidance from my technical friends. But in general, I, I was in control of it. And um and then it was just, um, that was the first step. And um, within a few months, I had my very first book deal. And I also started, um, I, I signed up with a, a commercial acting agency and I did an advert for Volkswagen. And this money kind of like helped me to live for a year. So I had this extra kind of cushion or of, of cash <laughs> coming into me. So I didn't have to kind of think um, in desperate terms about how I was going to live because things were, I was quite comfortable and things were coming to me gradually, um, book deals and media collaborations. And it was quite f- incredible, really. I mean, at first it was just such a affirmation, confirmation from the universe that I was on the right path. And, and also to um, get money and offers from something you've created yourself, from your art, from something you're incredibly passionate about, passionate about, was just an, a reward in itself. I worked so many hours the first few years. Um, I was even working seven days a week. And some people in my life were kind of looking down at me um, very disrespectfully, asking me how many hours are you working? This is not really working. And uh, But I always felt refreshed with what I was doing because it wasn't like working for someone else when you are you know, doing time for money. This was something that was almost like an investment for me and it was pure joy because it was my art and um, and then from well I had to kind of get rid of a lot of people in my life who didn't really understand or support what I was doing or just didn't understand it I guess because making a living from writing about sexuality is something that I've noticed that when I explain what I do um, to some people get very um, uncomfortable because I guess it kind of it makes them think about what how they they see their own sexuality and most people are not comfortable with sexuality. It's something that even though it's such an important part of life, most people will just rather not talk about it and just keep it um, in a very private place, which is, is a private thing, of course, but it's not a bad thing I, not at all. It's completely natural. But one of the most interesting reactions I have had from my job is being is when people start to open up to me about their life secrets 
the fact they haven't had orgasms or their affairs or something. Sometimes it gets a bit TMI, but I, at the end of the day, I'm very flattered that people perceive me as being an open and non-judgmental, tolerant person. And that's something that I find to be very, very, very flattering. My journey has completely, um, is, has evolved in many ways over the years. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't have, I wasn't restricted by any type of business plan at the beginning. I just kind of like had the, uh, a first intention of creating a blog and I let things um, develop in a very organic way. For example, I didn't imagine, I could never have imagined that I would end up, um, you know, I started writing in English and then I would end up writing for media outlets such as El Pais or GQ Spain or El, um, or um, Playboy and then some TV channels and also the radio here in Spain. It was just so wow. And then I ended up being a sex toy reviewer, starting a, a YouTube channel. And then I've published three books here. And then I started this podcast um, two years ago. And I've also been a sex toy designer. So it's really interesting how I've just kind of started with one idea of sexuality. It's just kind of developed into other, other things along the way. And I do define myself as an artist. But over the years, I have had some, you know, I, I guess... I have had some self-doubt about my own profile and my own expertise. For example, when I remember when I landed one of my media collaborations here in Spain, a lot of people were very angry that I had landed this particular collaboration when I wasn't a sexologist. I've always thought, do I have to get some kind of qualification to do what I do? So that's always been an element of self-doubt that I have been battling with on and off. But now I've come to the conclusion that I am an artist. I mean, my most recent collaboration is writing erotica for the Satisfier Connect app. So I share many of my stories and a lot of these stories are articles that I've previously shared in Spanish, um, in Spanish media, and I'm now translating them and kind of adapting them, translating them to English. And I'm also narrating them, which is interesting. So if you have the Satisfier app, you can listen to my stories. And if you have a product, then it will vibrate to in reaction and in response to my narrative, which is, which is, which is quite interesting, really. It's not just, um, you know, just a, um, a story. It's actually interactive erotica. You can let your mind wander while the vibrator is also doing its thing. So for example, in the hottest part of the narrative, that's when the vibration would be at its strongest. So that's um, a feature called Remotica on the, on the Satisfier Connect app. But if you don't have the Satisfier app, you can also access these stories on Spotify, on the Satisfier, uh, the, the Satisfier account on there, which is another way to listen to my voice, listen to my stories. And we are releasing three stories a week. So now I, I don't think you need any qualifications at all to be an artist or a creative. So I'm, I'm doing that. And I also just really love talking about sexuality. On this podcast, I've had the absolute privilege of meeting some incredible people from different, many different fields of sexuality, from the business side to it, the more medical side, the spiritual side, tantric side, BDSM. Um, it's just, um, it's it's limitless, really. And I have some incredible guests who will be, I'll be speaking with um, over the next few weeks. I have so many guests lined up that I'm actually thinking of making this podcast weekly making it on the um, third quarter and first quarter of the moon as well. So that would mean four episodes a month, just because the quality of guests is getting so good. And I would like, I don't want, to be, I don't want guests to be, to be waiting five months until their episode comes out. 
So I'm really thinking about that and trying to to grow this uh, this podcast because I'm really loving where it's taking me, and I just love I just love the 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 process of speaking to experts um, and learning new perspectives on sexuality from many different many different perspectives, many different professionals. And I'm just sharing my own uh, my own experiences and stories as well. So it's been it's been very enlightening, and um, it's also I also feel like it's kind of like having my own personal uh, coaching <laughs> sessions, which is quite interesting. So I always get off a call with my in, in um, my guests, and I feel completely my brain it feels like I've just done mental aerobics. It's quite it's quite stimulating. But yes, that's my own journey of becoming an erotic content creator and it's something that is never ending. I remember one of um, someone who did criticize me years ago used to say to me, what are you going to do when you're 60? And I was thinking, do you think sexuality ends when you're 60? Absolutely not. Sexuality is something you can enjoy throughout your whole life. And I think it's important to have more mature voices um, to share these perspectives as well about how you can enjoy your body, how you can, how you can enjoy intimacy um, um, through sexuality in all areas and all stages of life because I really do believe that sexuality is one of the greatest gifts that we have. Are you looking for a new sex toy? If you are, go to satisfier.com and you can use the code VENUS to get 30% off anything on the satisfier.com website. So check it out, VENUS for 30% off, satisfier.com. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Tabitha Rain, an award-winning author, artist, and sex tech designer. Tabitha Rain, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. And it's a real pleasure. You're the first guest that I've actually met previously. That's such a new experience. And for those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Yeah, hello, I'm Tabitha Rain. I am an erotic author, um, editor, audio artist, and designer. I design sex toys. Um, and I've been doing, I've been running erotic for around about, oh gosh, God, it's about 12, 13, 14 years now. Much the same as you, actually. So what inspired you to follow this path in the beginning? Well... Um, what happened at the very start, and my actually my first novel, which wasn't erotic, came out in 2009, and um, it was quite sort of daunting, and I found it quite a difficult process, because it was quite, you know, people read into your work, and I so I found that really quite difficult and challenging, and people were asking me on um, like news shows to be an expert in something, I was like, I'm not an expert, I just wrote about it. And so what happened was um, I changed, I, I took on a pseudonym and because I, I found that a lot of people could read their read themselves into the stories that you make. And then you're like, no, 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 that wasn't, oh God, yes, that was based around a conversation, but it wasn't about you kind of thing. So uh, I, I gave myself a new name and it gave me a whole lot of freedom. And it turns out that it gave me the freedom to write about sex. And one of the things that got me into writing about sex was my friend um, had said that he had improved his touch typing by writing pornos. And I said, oh my God, my touch typing is terrible. I would, yeah, I need to do that. And he said, oh, it's really easy. You just write sex. 
And then turns out I really loved it. And the having a different name really, really helped just open up that freedom. Um, because, you know, the last thing you want is someone reading themselves into your porno. And um, my touch typing improved, could type like the wind. And I absolutely loved writing erotica. I absolutely loved it. And I, after years of sending off stories and having it, oh, we enjoyed it, but it's not quite right for a publication. As soon as I started writing in erotica, like everything I wrote was getting picked up and published. And so it was, um, it was just seemed natural that that would be the path that I pursued with my writing. It was interesting. So it kind of came into your world without you actually trying. Yeah, that's right. Because I've always loved um, sex and writing about, reading about sex and watching sex. And, you know, um, I was one of the generation that found pornos in bushes and that changed my life. And I understood finally what this feeling was that I had and the curiosity I had and how I loved human biology and I loved everything about the human body and fascinated by sex and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I identify with you a lot because you do, you've done erotic photos, you write erotica, you design sex toys. There are not many people who do what we do. Um, I think it's the best job in the world. Would you agree? Yeah, of course. It's amazing. And the other thing as well, like I love reviewing sex toys as well. I review sex toys um, not so much for my own blog, but for Frolic Me, an ethical porn site I write for. And I absolutely love that because, like, um, I think a lot of people in industry, business, talk about competition. But because of our writing background, we're always collaborating with each other and, you know, um, sharing opportunities and things like that. And so um, some people think it's weird that I invent sex toys but then rave about other sex toys. But it's like, well, there's room for all the sex toys, right? <laughs> And there's all different, like my sex toys are quite niche. And so there's all different things. So of course, I think it's the best job in the world. I mean, who gets to try out different ways to orgasm and then write about it? It's fantastic, right? It is fantastic. And I was curious, I was going through your website yesterday. Do you take your own photos? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to, I mean, I started off working with um, photographers and I found it was just complicated with rights. You know, because um, um, it sometimes um, it just got a bit limiting sometimes. And some some people some people were, were more flexible than others. But if if you want to send something to a magazine, it's just always easy if you've got the copyright as well as the model release. You know, so I started taking my own. Um, I don't know when, but I mean, yeah. Um, but I did start off doing working with photographers, and that was really interesting as well, just to kind of get. I was the art art director because I knew exactly how I wanted to be seen, and I was like giving them instructions, but. But yeah, I loved your photos. I think your photos are amazing. And I'm just imagining because um, here in Barcelona, it's really hot. And um, when I've done like professional shoots, I remember I did one outside once and I got this photographer to bring a fan so I could get hard nipples outside. But I imagine in Edinburgh, you wouldn't have that problem. Oh <laughs> <laughs> God, it's always freezing. And I did one in the snow once and I really enjoyed that. And um, actually, I was um, thinking about one of um when you were talking about how you were an art uh interested in erotic photography when you were publishing it with your publisher and then you went in from being the sort of publisher to the muse 
Right. That's a dynamic that's always fascinated me, always, always, always in my work, is the artist-muse dynamic. And um, oh, to be seen as an artist, see the subject, like it's always like really, I don't know, I find that a really erotic um, experience, not experience because I've never had an artist take my, my take, uh, paint me or take my, my photo, but friends, Exposing 40s done my photo. That was quite good. That was really nice. But it was very much a let's do what we want and have fun. I've not had a um like a, an artist directing me to stand still and do this. Because I think there's something quite erotically um sort of power exchangey about that as well, which is something quite fascinating that I write it sort of spills over into my writing, if you like. So I don't know if you find the same sort of thing. Absolutely. And I've, had, I've worked with so many different photographers and, um, you know, most photographers, what I love about it is that they've been very respectful and they're kind of like looking at it in a matter of fact way, trying to get, and they're not getting all horny because people have this perception that I think in our world, people are generally, you know, in general, not too sleazy. They're kind of like, they can talk about sex without getting turned on and, and losing control. And that's something that attracted me to this industry in the first place. But I've worked with many photographers like that. And I found the people who are into fetish, they're the most controlled people. Like I worked with um, a German tickle photographer, tickle, and he was so controlled. And it was just amazing. Like we were both there to make this art. And um, and, and he was tickling my feet with with hairbrushes and I was blindfolded. It was just an amusing experience. There was like, you know, nothing weird happening, but we were just really enjoying making the art. And that's just something amazing. I think it's always interesting as well to compare, you know, we have an ex, um, an idea of how we like to see ourselves and other people see us in a different way. So it's interesting to have those different perspectives and, and just not worry about the technical side and just pose. That's something that's, that's great. The only thing I worried about is like, are they seeing me how I want to be seen? That's- well, yeah, that's that's the thing. That's the thing, isn't it? So there's quite a, a control. I mean, because I have suffered with uh, several mental disorders, including like eating disorders, body dysmorphia. So I'm very particular about the control over what image is going to, because I know where I've been in the past in terms of my uh, mental health. And so um, I always had, and I, probably one of the reasons that I take my own photos is I have complete control about the ones that I put out and the ones that I, um, delete so it's it's quite a weird control dynamic as well because it has helped me a lot to get over myself um especially with sometimes I'll put photos out that I'm not I know in prior with prior eyes I wouldn't have been happy with but um having been able to sort of overcome a lot of things like put, do, taking naked photos and nude photos of yourself that you want to titillate people with it's a very good way of giving yourself body confidence where you might not have had it before. But I do understand as well that if I got a bad shot from an artist, from a photographer that I thought was horrible and they put it out, I would be devastated. <laughs> so it's a fragile thing, isn't it? Being very, very open. We've got, well, I believe we probably both have quite a, a, percent, a perceived thing of being very, very open. But in fact, a lot of my work is very, very controlled at the same mm. time. Definitely. So, and what yeah. you said earlier about the, the pseudonym kind of liberating you, I actually wrote a book here in Spain, an erotic memoir called 
the mask of venus and it's oh. about how um how wearing the mask of venus actually was i wasn't hiding away i was actually revealing myself a lot more and that's exactly how i feel about it and i felt i feel that um you probably totally understand that that this this pseudonym kind of like really liberating you from you know your school friends finding you your family what have you um but also what i found in the last in the 14 years that i've been in this industry is that maybe let's say 14 to 10 years ago a lot of people who were sex blogging they were not just using pseudonyms, but they're also not showing their faces. And I, f I find that's different now with all the rise of, let's say, TikTok and Instagram and what have you. And I just found that that was a lack of authenticity. You're trying to share a message, but you're too ashamed. It's like, how can you promote non-shame when you're too ashamed to show your face? I, I can I, I can understand that people have, like, let's say, real jobs and they're doing it as a side hustle. But I've, I knew people who were men pretending to be women. It just felt very inauthentic. It's like been your perception as well that people are more kind of open to show who they are. Much more open now. It's absolutely so um, inspiring and exciting. And well, back in the day, I never used to show my face. Um, I had, um, I just wanted to keep my private life completely private. And then it was a real shame because I had won an award for my writing and I was like, there was a moment where I was like, I should be proud of this. So or like, I just, then I was showing my face and the year before I'd been, I think I'd been nominated for something, but I was like really, really scared in case I would have to go up and give a speech. Someone might take my photo. And I'm like, now what horror? I mean, like you say, you got to put your money where your mouth is a little bit, but for some reason it seemed like back then, back in the day, I was really, I was really, really worried about people finding out what I did oh my god and now like I, I I'm proud of what I do I not that I don't care I care a lot but I don't um you know everyone that knows me knows what I do and I'm not ashamed of it at all but I'm really proud of the sort of newer generations coming through the TikTok generations who are, they're just taking sex ed and sex ed and pleasure into their own hands and like even through lots of censorship which is getting way worse they're just like gonna hit we're we're here if you're not going to give us the education we'll do it ourselves and they're so liberated and wonderful and i get so much joy and inspiration from watching particularly young women out there now just embracing their sexuals their sensuality their sexuality and they're being so open and just like way more open than i was back what, 12. I can't even think how many years ago it was. Oh my God, my first blog. I think it was like 2010, 2011. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't regret all that because it's all part of your evolution, isn't it? But um, yeah, the, now I'm just so much different. It's actually quite rare. I work with a lot of writers um, and I'm an editor and um, I work with a lot of writers. So we have a writer profile on the site. And now it's surprising to me when someone doesn't give me a biopic with their actual face on it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Because, but back in the day, it was only like a pearl necklace or a or high or something. And now, like everybody really shows their face, and it's actually very unusual to get someone who's just, a, a, you know, just a generic picture or something. So it's quite, it's so interesting. Some. I think um, we've been very blessed to sort of come in at a time where we've seen the entire evolution of like 
like the whole reason I invented my sex toy was because there was literally nothing that I, when I invented it, there was like dildos, like vibrator, rabbit vibrators or a bullet vibrator. There was nothing else really. And now me and you, we've like gone from that to now like you've got, like what isn't there now, right? You can do anything with any, with any weird inanimate object out there. So I think we've been like, not just evolution of um, like people's openness, it's also like all the different products that are out there now, all the different books, all the different, like we've got so much more education in terms of fetish and kink and it's not so terrifying because I think back in the day that would be another thing that um, sex clubs and swinger parties and all this sort of stuff um, maybe seemed to go quite taboo, but now it's like, or maybe it's just where I'm looking, where I'm inhabiting. I don't think so, actually, because um, we're going to go talk about your toy in a minute. But um, I've just written something down here. I think something for me that I've noticed that's influenced these last 14 years has been the phenomenon of Fifty Shades. Now, even though I don't like the story in itself, I, I think it's really been a great thing for erotica and BDSM and fetish. It's really brought it into the mainstream and it's made it not so weird. So I think that's been, I'm a massive fan of the phenomenon of, of Fifty Shades and how it's brought those darker desires into the mainstream. And I think that's what's changed things. People people didn't even know what BDSM meant maybe 14 years ago, unless you were in that world. Yeah. And also it's, um, it was, it's quite an intimidating thing. Like to, like if you go into a, a club and people are in like, you know, masks and chains, it's, it's, it's scary, it's intimidating. And then when you actually do go and meet and have fun, um, you see that they're just people having a laugh, having a really fun time, and they're super sweet and super kind and super consensual and just lovely normal people. It's just like a normal thing that gets off. And it, so I think, yeah, the Fifty Shades thing, yeah, it did bring all that to a new audience, an audience that just needed the door unlocked, if you like, and just to understand that there's more, there's more to pleasure, there's more to your mind as well and what can turn you on and physically and emotionally and spiritually and I think it was a really good way to open up all that. Fantastic. Definitely. Before we talk about your toy, before we talk about your toy I want to say this, um, we're, just, we're just reflecting on a lot of the positive things of our world but it's not all rainbows and orgasms. What are some of the challenges we face in your opinion and experience? Okay, so the biggest thing is uh, censorship. Um, I'm talking about people being open and loud and fantastic, and that is all fantastic, but we're all getting quite shut down all the time. Um, from a business point of view, um, I couldn't get a bank account when I was being honest about what my business was doing this what, 10 years ago. Couldn't get a bank account. I ended up had to lie and say that in some vague, oh, yes, I'm selling some vague things things, you know, bath toys, etc. And then it wasn't, and then I had to sort of phone up the bank manager and say, listen, they're not bath toys. Well, you can use them in the bath, but you know what I mean? They're not bath toys, pal. But, so it was like all this sort of, um, oh, it it makes you feel like what you're doing is wrong and, and um, it, it's bad and shameful. And it does make you feel like that, especially, you know, if you're trying to get on in business and you're looking for a business advisor and you're kind of going, oh, it's um, 
you know, search for adult marital aids. And it's just get, it seems to be getting worse in terms of censorship. Like even blogging, I've got taken off of blogging platforms. I've been shut down on the socials. I'm always shadow banned. And it's, you can't advertise anywhere. So to have been in business this long is quite remarkable, but I like literally don't know how I've limped along half the time because it's so hard to sell sex toys when you can't advertise, like you're not allowed to advertise. And the places you like in social media, you're not allowed to, it just gets taken down. And anywhere you are allowed to advertise, the bigger players, um, sort of but it's always would rely on seo and clever uh keywords and things like that but then um, the bigger companies have clearly got a lot more budget that they can just swoop in and um use that and also payment platforms i think I've, i think i can only use at one point i could only use paypal on my website because like literally all the payment platforms that i tried to use were disasters so um sometimes i just well, to be honest, there's actually more days than not where I could just jack it all in and just say, right, that's it. I'm getting a job in the chippy. It's too hard. <laughs> I love talking to people. I don't get to talk to people very much. Um, so forgive me if this like overruns Venus, but <laughs> I love talking to people and um, being sociable and a lot of the time you're just sort of firefighting trying not to get kicked off platforms and trying to and you spend a lot of time being really careful and wording things really carefully putting them on and then they just get shut down so you just wasted a day like beautifully crafting something like I I find it I find it very a very difficult business being um, spiritually I find it very rewarding very rewarding especially if I get a lovely email from someone saying how, you know, their product was the only thing that worked for them and all this. Um, like, that's so gratifying, you know. I mean, I don't know about you. How, how do you find it? What's your, how do you? Well, for me, um, I've just tried to kind of make my content more lifestyle and not go too much into the sex thing because also I'm bored of it. I don't know about you, but it's like... Um, I don't want to see so much. I mean, also with the people I follow on social media, the people I've connected to, I'm, I'm sick of like opening Twitter and seeing kind of almost pornographic imagery. It makes me desensitize and it kind of negatively impacts my own sex life. So, uh, and sexuality. So I like to kind of like, um, like this with, with this podcast, it's not just about sex. It's kind of like a lifestyle and there's sex as a part of it as if it was like a, a, a female magazine, women's magazine. So, and I think, I think that makes sex more powerful and, and also my, more digestible and more mainstream. So that's the kind of my, my personal approach. Um, and also when you're on your own platforms, like your website, your podcast, your email list, what have you, that's where you can be really kind of like a bit more adventurous, but I think on social media, et cetera, I think we have to play by someone else's rules and show yourself as a, in a, in a whole human being. I think a lot of people will find that more relatable because otherwise people aren't going to share something that's over sexualized anyway so I think we have to kind of like just learn about how to navigate that and um, I've had some problems in the past as well but I've just it's just taught me to kind of be a bit more um a bit more a bit more holistic <laughs> so I, got, I kind of refer to myself as like holistic self-love so it's just it's like eating well it's like sobriety it's like um sexuality ma masturbation self-love so I have to think about the words we use. We can't use the word sex. We have to use other other words. 
So yeah, um, so I try and use it, use it that way, but it's very frustrating um, when you've got such a, what you think is a positive message, it's a very important message. And then, but I think that's why it does get shut down or what have you, because it's so powerful. That's why sex is so taboo. It's not because it's bad, but it's because it's super, super powerful, I think. Yeah, unless, speaking of power, I'm gonna your toy, right? The, the box got a bit destroyed, <laughs> Mike, because I mean, I went on. I went to Edinburgh on my way to Ireland, family holiday. So I was not thinking about sex toys, and I went with a very small bag. So that meant I got very cheap flights. I got four flights for 170 euros. Imagine it was unbelievable, just because I had a small bag. And then you gave me this, and I was like, okay, you are having oil <laughs> Well, hopefully, yeah. Honestly, it was so good. So I wanted. I was saving um, I was saving it because I wanted to you to explain what. To anyone who's listening, will have to. Oops. Yeah, the, the box got just destroyed in my. <laughs> I'm amazed you still got the box. Oh, I always keep boxes because um, the erotic museum in Barcelona said you've got to keep the boxes of the toys because they'll be worth more, you know, in the future. Because I want to have, I want to loan all my collection to to a museum and do world tours and stuff. Amazing, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because this shape is, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I'm, it's interesting because as a, as a reviewer, um, I kind of work things out and I explain things to potential buyers. But I found with this, there was a lot of um, questions about, wow, there's so many ways to use it. It was unbelievable. I don't I don't read um, instructions ever because I, I just feel like I don't need to. There's a lot of standard things like long press on, long press off, short press to go through the different settings. And what I found with this was I just started using it and um, I think the middle um, nub was vibrating. I thought, that's okay. And I pressed the other button. I was like, okay, hello. <laughs> so I was using it kind of like um, using mainly the tip on the on the vault on the clitoris. But then when I used this half inside and this on the clitoris, that was like, oh my God. Amazing. Some right? epic, epic orgasms from this. And... I was really surprised. That's yeah, but but really, really good. And uh, yeah. so I was just um, blown away. And also, I, I think it's interesting that you've made this um, as a grinder. Because I mean, for me, I just kind of need to be horizontal to have an orgasm. I mean, that, that's usually obviously when when we are when we kind of get to know our bodies. Sometimes it's good to kind of do some things a bit different because otherwise, just for those erotic um, erotic pathways, the um, erotic plasticity, as they call it, but. Um, so, and also I'd seen it online. So when I saw this um, shape, I assumed it was, you know, for sitting on. And um, so which part would, would be, if you're sitting on it, which part would be the, the front here? So that, yes. So at the front is the higher, um, the higher mound, if you like, vibrating mound. So that's where you would sort of your anchor, your anchor it in place in the dip. Mm. Uh, so you've got the, you've got, there's a dip. There's a, a hive at the front, then there's a dip where your pubic bone goes, and then there's a another mound where your vagina area or perineal area, depending on what how your physique is made up. And then at the very end of the little cheeky little anal nodule um there, just to for an extra bit of spice. Um so basically um I invented it because I wanted something um, to grind on while through my pants while I was uh, writing and uh, my erotica, ah. and so the that's why I invented it was because I was like, oh, I'll just go and order that, and of course nothing existed, and I did a load of research. Well, I didn't. I made one out of clay first and just used it, and then someone suggested that maybe other people would quite like it. So I did a load of research, and there wasn't anything um, like it because there's another one just called the Ruby Glow that's just 
it's not a wand and cradle. It's just a shape and it doesn't have the anal bit, but it's two vibrating pads. It's like two vibrating pads that you can grind and you're holding it in place. You're anchoring it with your pubic bone. And so you just grind your way uh, to your orgasms. And the, one of the things that I really love about it as well is that if you're not into penetration, like the Vaginist Miss Network, I um, always recommend my toy because you don't have, if you're sitting on it and grinding on it, it doesn't have to be in any way internal stimulation. However, this one with the detachable wand is very much, you can use it for um, internal G-spot stimulation. And because it's got a flare, you can actually use it for anal stimulation, P-spot stimulation, and also um, the little bit there, you can sort of scoop, scoop the balls as well. So I used to first time using the tip against the, the clitoris, but my favorite way has to be just this, this in, in the entrance of the vagina and this on the clitoris. I just found that was, and then kind of moving it from side to side, that was just like epic. I think I sent you a message saying, oh my God. <laughs> I was actually, it was actually my go-to when I um, just came back from that holiday. And I used it once in Ireland as well, like all my family sleeping nearby. I was like, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. Well, that's amazing because, you know, it takes a lot to impress a sex toy. Um, as a fellow sex toy tester and inventor yourself, you know, I mean, it takes a, it takes a lot. So I'm really pleased you liked it. I mean, I, that's my favorite way to use it as well. It's sort of reverse, reverse it, if you like, yeah. and sort of hook it in because it's really... You wouldn't think, because if you think of a rabbit vibrator, the you've got the shaft and then you've got the fins and they're very close together. And so with this, you wouldn't think that it would be able to stimulate your internal and your external clitoris at the same time because of the way it's shaped. But it hooks just in the right spot, weirdly. I just It just seems to be the perfect <laughs> for my body as well. Anyway, like I think it's great as well. And the, the rumbly vibrations are quite good on the tip as well. That's, that's what really was the game changer for me. Because I just like press the buttons. I, I, at this stage, after 800 toys, I don't read manuals. But, but um, so I just like pressed it on and it was okay. Like the first thing, but I was using this bit on the clitoris, but I was, it was this motor. So I thought, yeah, it's okay. A bit of imagination. Then I pressed the other button. I was like, oh, wow. here we go. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, literally. So I mean, as I've been through this process of, you know, having a con uh, the concept to realization, how was your experience? Uh, what was it like? I mean, for me, um, trying prototypes was the most challenging test ever because you've got this pressure to like it, to have an orgasm and give, approve a design, put your name to it, and then give good feedback to these um, engineers. And I found in my case, uh, when I've been designing toys, I found that to be very hard. And I felt like really bad when I had to give a bad review on something, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, well, luckily for me, I did my own, a lot of my own prototyping with um, making it like through a like two-part RTV silicon and molds myself with the initial very first one before I even approached manufacturers and um, and so I'm, I managed to sort of get the shape pretty much nailed as to what um, was going to be working but yes there was that one had a lot of trickiness with the if you're wanting to use it you can use it like underwater with just the wand you can you can still sit on it with just the wand and grind against it um as well but if you have it in the cradle um there was a lot of design back and forth with the um the noise of it and 
is it too loud? And so basically we, we I would always recommend to have like have some sort of pad. Like if you're going to do it on like a, a wooden chair or something. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But the... then you do, it has got slight silicon pads there, but in it, the muscle, like your body weight going down does muscle it a lot. But there is always going to be that because this toy at some point might be ca- coming into contact with a chair or um, something, it is going to ha- be noisy at some point. So that was one of the sticking points that were was quite a, a difficult thing. And actually to go, that version took years and years to come to fruition. The first one came out in 2016 and this one only came out, um, was it a couple of years ago now? Uh, if that a year and a half ago, just because of the engineering was so difficult to make it the wand and the base and to make sure that it wasn't too crazy noisy um, and that sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, how has it improved your writing? Oh, my son, you're right through an orgasm now. I don't even have to take a break. To, uh... <laughs> I'm going to try it for my erotic if I have a lot of writing work. So I'm going to... Because on... That was the thing. It was when I was writing, I was like, I wonder what happened. Because, you know, you're, you know yourself, if you're writing a really good scene, it can get you quite randy, right? Yeah. And one of the ways, one of the things you have to do is like perhaps stop during the flow and just go and sort yourself out somewhere else. And I just thought to myself, do you know what? I would love to write through an orgasm and the plateau and the, the whole wave. I want to write through the whole crest of the whole wave. And so um, that's why I initially invented this toy um, was to do that. And so it definitely made it. I mean, there was a lot of red lines to be contending with on that manuscript. (laughs) You know, there was a lot of gobbledygook I had to unpick after writing it. But actually, it was really good. It was a really fun experience. (laughs) So what are you working on now? Oh my gosh, I'm working on, um, wait, so I've got Ruby Glow Rides now, which is my newest grinders, which are full of silicon grinders. Yeah. I've not used this one yet. So I'm, yeah. I'm not quite um vertical or masturbator, but I'll have to, I will adapt, try. Because I think, as you were saying before, like a sex toy reviewer is far too impressed. I don't, I don't think so. I think we are more adaptable. Like I think most people only have like one go-to method of masturbation and they do that over and over and over. Whereas... With us, we trying so many different things that we get to have orgasms with in different ways, like dual uh, stimulation, single, you know, pinpoint, indirect. So I think we're way more adaptable. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so. Um, I will have to kind of practice a bit more. Like this, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So get yourself. Make yourself write a really hot story, because you can sit it with your pants on. It's the same thing. It's a. Uh, it's a clitoral grinder with tentacles. That's the only one in the world in those colors. So all the other ones are kind of aqua colors. Spanish and, colors as well for, for me. Yeah, there and, you go. Yeah. And so basically you just sit on it. You put that on the on your chair and then you would just grind against it with that area, hinting, sort of just pressing up against your vagina. And um, that one doesn't have a hole in it, does it, at the front? Um, no. Because then, so they come in two different. One itself's got space for your bullet vibrator if you if you prefer um vibrations but a lot of people just don't want vibration on their grinders so yeah so this is the newest thing that's coming out um and so it's just 
still quite embryonic. There's three different kinds and they're all based around, I'm a big art fan, and they're all based around different artists' work. This is by, uh, this is based, inspired by Dreams as a Fisherman's Wife by Hokusan. Oh, wow. Um, it's very erotic um, woodblock print from about two, three hundred years ago. And we've got May West Sofa, the Salvador Dali and May West Lips. Um, that's another grinder. And we've got uh, a Renaissance painting, Shays Long, where it's just basically inspired by Shays, uh, Renaissance paintings of women in the throes of orgasmic joy, reclining. Mm. So, yeah, and so I get quite wrapped up in um, the world of pleasure and spirituality, just sort of the whole, like you say, the holistic, the whole thing, like it's about stimulating your mind and your visual imagination, your auditory imagination, everything, just for me all rolled into one, if you like. Great. So anything else you're working on? Because you're also doing Frolic Me as well? Yes, I'm doing Frolic Me, which you must come and write for. We, yeah, we're excited to have some Venus on there. Um, so Frolic Me is an ethical porn site. Um, Anna Richards makes the films herself. Um, she films, uh, it's all based in Britain, but she films all over Europe as well. And um, so it's a whole erotic platform. So there's the films um, and there's the audio and there's ma a magazine with sex positive articles and there's going to be some sex education stuff, but it's mainly all about the erotic. And we have all of the films um, have got stories that are inspired by the films as well, which are then also made into audio. So you can have a full surround immerse yourself in pure filth no it's not <laughs> it's not filth it's a wonder to behold it's pure naughtiness and just escapism eroticism um and it's really horny <laughs> celebration celebration so we hope to welcome you into our writers our writer circle there wow thank you Great. Yes, it is. Explore that more. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. You're also doing the audio. You're doing voice work as well. Yeah, I record my audiobook. Um, trying to record everything into audiobooks. Um, I really, I actually really enjoy doing it. And um, I, you know, I don't know about you, but you always, and back in the day, I would always like hate the sound of my own voice. And but so used to it now. So long. <laughs> so used to it now. I'm like. It's quite good actually, which is really, really a nice way to um, embrace a part of yourself that you didn't like. Uh, it's, it's really nice. Sort of force yourself to record yourself speaking, especially if you're recording something like really, really dirty and salty and sexy and hot. It's quite an experience, but it's a very enjoyable experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm st I've started to do um, voice acting. Uh, and I'm doing narrating anyway with my own stories, but I'm, I started to do, I'm working with a studio in Barcelona that does a lot of dubbing of French erotica. Amazing. It's, it's so interesting because I, I, I don't really like dubbing because I prefer to watch things with original version and subtitles, but now I have a new respect for this art form because you have to listen to the original version and then you play an actor and you have to make sure that your translated thing is the same timing as the, as the actor's movement of the mouth. 
Wow. You're like reading a script. You've got the, the original thing, all this porn on the screen, and then you've got the, you have to watch their movements and, and the, the millisecond references. It's a lot going on in your brain. And it's it's very very technical, and um, I've I've been doing that. I've done about five sessions so far. I'm getting better and better each time. But I had to make these sound effects of a blowjob, and you, you learn all these things. They're just like sucking your finger and go mm, as you're breathing, and it's just it's so funny. And then just making all cause it's not just about getting the time. You have to get the emotion in as well. Like there's this scene of um, this actress with a butt plug, and and, and she says. Did you put the biggest one in? And the guy goes, "No, it's the second it, bigger. Is that, is that too big?" He says, "No, I can take more." <laughs> it's like a day's work. It's just so much fun. And I don't like, watch porn, but it's just so funny. I mean, so funny, <laughs> so brilliant. Oh my god, that's a that is a huge skill. Like trying to figure out the timing and get your brain to like. Uh, and I've had the um. The director of the studio in the in the room with me like just going now but i mean if he wasn't there because i'm just learning i'm getting the master class of, of voice acting but it's um if i was without if I, without him i wouldn't be able to do it so well but i really improved a lot and um and, and in some of the movies i've played two different people so i have to adapt my voice and get very posh. i was in this i was in madame in a, in a fetish club would you like some more drinks darling <laughs> just like making all these different voices it's so much fun <laughs> Oh, I'd love to do that. That sounds like such a laugh. So good. So professional. Yeah. <laughs> there was one um, one of the audios I was doing. Um, I was seeing a few audios for Frolic Me and recording some audios for them. But I'd already recorded quite a few stories and my voice is probably quite distinctive on that platform because I'm probably the only one in Scottish accent. So I was like, right, I think I better switch it up. So I had to do a posh accent. Oh. <laughs> Ew, harder, harder. <laughs> You're really fun. Yes, it's, it's really liberating to be become someone else, isn't it? Just for yeah. art's sake. Very funny. Just for art. Yes. So oh, really, <laughs> quick questions for you. Uh, what is the book that changed your life? The book that changed my life. Oh my good lord! And um, probably, um, oh god, Beloved by Toni Morrison. When I was like about seventeen, eighteen, I couldn't believe what I couldn't believe it. I could not believe what I was reading. It was absolutely phenomenal, but completely lyrical. I didn't understand half the things that were going on, but I just felt like this. These words were woven together so magically it was like a magic experience it wasn't even like reading a book that's what that I don't know if it changed it changed me in terms of what art could but what's the word what word art could be though so is it a novel or is it what, what is it and it's a novel by Toni Morrison and um, it's just is it a love story is it erotic it's a, actually a ghost story oh wow I'm trying to think about which um erotic book changed my life probably do you know what it was probably reading my mum's like nancy friday books oh wow. and good old judy bloom back in the day. oh my god i was gonna say judy bloom forever forever it's amazing and paula is it paula dan Ziger, is that how you say it her book what about you what book changed your life i read forever when i was 11 amazing. it was being passed around my primary school We're in junior four i remember when they used to call it junior four and um it was so interesting because um, all of those questions that we had about puberty and sex, 
Judy Bloom answered them in yeah. massive, explicit detail. And I really appreciate her. Obviously, when I hear the name Ralph now, I just think of dicks. <laughs> you know? Do you remember the guy who, he called his, his dick Ralph? But it was just such, it was so explicit, this book about a girl's first time sexual encounters and about, you know, the, the feeling of holding an erect penis and feeling it inside and all this stuff about then having to be responsible for birth control, etc. I just found it was interesting because there's nothing like, there's nothing else that I've read in erotica that's been that detailed, you know, from a virgin perspective. Because you had so many questions about, does it hurt, you know? All of these things that, you know, whenever your friends had lost their virginity, I was like, does it hurt? Does it hurt? That was the first question. Because the vagina is always, always a big mystery to us. I mean, it was, I mean, it's a place of, you know, when you put tampons in, they're really small, you take it out, it's big and like, whoa, this is a secret garden here. You know, it's a real mystery. So that was, that for me has got to be a, um, a life-changing book. But then in terms of later in life, then um, Think and Grow Rich is one that really has changed my life because it's helped me to understand the true power of sexual energy and how we can use it to to manifest and it's just oh yeah yeah and i'm reading an amazing book now called sacred sex the path of the divine erotic it's just oh, right in the stone yeah i've got I'm, i've got a, i have to send you some pictures of my amazing bookshelves because um i've got a whole shelf of sacred sex and oh. yeah and a whole shelf of spirituality the whole shelf of money and, <laughs> and then all the erotic because i used to work in a in a printer printing erotic books that's how I kind of got into this industry. So it was also, also kind of something that kind of landed in my life. I didn't really choose it, kind of chose me kind of thing. So I can... Fascinating though, isn't it? Yes. It's yeah, a, it's totally fascinating. Yeah. You know, and it's, and I think that um, in this sort of time and weird time, going back to what we're talking about, about censorship and stuff, I don't think, I've, you know, it was Judy Bloom books. Would they be allowed now to be passed around their 11-year-old class? I thought they weren't allowed then. I, mean, I was in the cabinet. They weren't allowed school. then either. They weren't allowed then either. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I've borrowed probably a book from the library and never ever gave it back. So I'm just not very good at giving books back to libraries. Just don't go anymore. But yeah, absolutely wonderful. It's, it's just like you're right. It answers all the questions that no one's, you're too scared to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. The sacred sex, the path of the divine erotic. Yeah, I'll show it to you in a minute when we get offline. And um, another um, quick question for you. What is the phrase or affirmation or quote that you live by? Oh, my God. That's what, that's just completely drawn a blank. <laughs> Probably. Do you know what goes around my head all the time? Oh, shove up your arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Sorry, I can't. I'm not very good at thinking on the spot with things like that. What's yours? No, no. Um, I always ask this question to all of my guests, and one thing that has been recurring that one more than one person has said is uh, "say yes." You know, that's that's an interesting thing because I haven't seen the film Yes Man with Jim Jim Carrey. I haven't seen it, but I know it, what it's about. It's about when he starts saying yes to things and how that can really open you up to new things. Another thing that I'm kind of living by lately is um, never wish your time away. Never wish it was, you know, later, what have you, because one day time will run out. So I think that's really important to just think, you know, if, if you're waiting for the bus or what have you, just like treasure those minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah that, so, um, so important because especially like, I, like I'm like i having quite a hard time emotionally just now. 
And sometimes I hear, I feel, I hear myself in my mind going, oh, I just wish today was finished. Mm. And I'm like catching myself saying that. And I'm like, oh my God, my mom, my mom died very young. And I'm like, oh my God, imagine saying that to yourself when you know your days are finite. Like, it's like, wow, it's a miracle we're even here talking. Imagine that. I, I get blown away by all, but I get blown away by the miracle of just existing, honestly. Well, that's beautiful. So uh, where can people find you? You can find me at tabithaRain.com, which I've not been blogging very much recently, but I've got a whole massive back catalogue of free stories and everything. Oh, you can spell it for us, so it's not... T-A-B-I-T-H-A-R-A-Y-N-E.com. And um, on the socials, it's either Tabitha Rain or Tabitha Erotica. And also therubyglow.com. There you'll find uh, all my sex toy creation. Yeah, so that'll, that'll be a good thing to do. Listen to, you know, sit and grind while listening to this episode. <laughs> and also, yeah. And also come along to frolicme.com. F-O-R, no. F-O-R-O. No. L-I-C-M-E, frolicme.com. Lots of really gorgeous erotic stuff going on there as well. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining us today on the, I think say the erotic lifestyle, the orgasm <laughs> lifestyle podcast. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you. The book I'm reading now is The Surrender Experiment, My Journey into Life's Perfection by Michael A. Singer, and he's also the author of The Untethered Soul. I got The Untethered Soul last year, and I started reading it, but I didn't quite connect with it. However, after reading this book, The Surrender Experiment, I think I'm going to revisit The Untethered Soul. Perhaps it wasn't the right time, and maybe it is now. I'm reading this book because one of my future podcast guests named it as the the book that changed their life. That's a question that I ask all of my um, interviewees. And because I'm always, I'm always curious to know what are the best books around or the, the books that have had the most impact on people. And this is one of them. Also, I've, it's, I've heard it mentioned many times. So I thought when you hear something from more than one source, it's time to listen. And I got this book just over maybe 10 days ago. And as soon as I got it, I just started to devour it. It's been a long time since I've been so absorbed by a book. It's quite fantastic. And it's a memoir and all about surrender and just stopping and and not having so much control of your life, but just kind of letting life control you, which can seem very daunting and scary to lots of people. Just the other day, I put a post on LinkedIn saying, are you in control of your life? And most people would want to answer, yes, I'm in control. But imagine not being in control and being okay with that. That's an incredibly powerful place to be in. And this story um, starts with a very subtle spiritual awakening, um, because a lot of spiritual awakenings can be quite traumatic, very, you know, traumatic life events can can trigger um, a spiritual awakening. But in the case of Michael A. Singer, it's a, it's a very, very subtle shift. And um, and then he starts getting into meditation and this kind of um, really exploring his inner world. And um, from there, um, he kind of 
you get so into it that sometimes it can feel that anything that's not part of the meditation world is, is non-spiritual. Then it becomes, then the two merge together where he, he considers everything to be spiritual. But it's kind of interesting how he surrenders the control and lets life, he allows things to come to him. And I think that's um, something that I've been talking about a lot in my personal life for the last few months, surrender, surrender, surrender. But this book has taken it on to a whole new level. And someone asked me recently, what's the role um, of surrender? What about, is, is you know, surrender versus manifestation? Because they seem to be very opposite forces. And for example, with manifestation, lots of law of attraction things, it's all about, you know, having this specific um, visualization and going for that thing and imagining you have it, blah, blah, blah. Whereas surrender team seems to be the absolute opposite of just like allowing and not having, having non-specific, not even having goals uh, as such. But I think that surrender does have a role in manifestation. I think there are three parts to manifestation. The first thing is the mindset, and you can achieve that mindset through many ways, such as even sex magic that I've discussed many times here, affirmations, um, visualization, meditation, etc. And then there's the second part, which I would say is action. And some of some action can be just preparing yourself for receiving that gift and, and then also specific actions that can help you to achieve that as well. And the last thing would be surrender in terms of, you know, trusting the process, trusting the universe and knowing that if if it's right, when it's right, it will come to you. And if it doesn't, it's not it's not supposed to be yours. It's like when you're in a restaurant and you order a coffee to the waitress, let's say, you don't ask the waitress 10 times where the coffee is. You just ask once and trust that it's going to be on its way. And I think that's something we have to do with all the things we want to achieve in life. But it's kind of interesting to not have non-specific goals. And this has really also influenced my um, sex magic practice. I think I did discuss this a few um, episodes ago when I spoke to Nalaya Chakana about feminine manifestation. And it's something I've applied to my magic tech um, tech practice now. For example, before it used to be very masculine, very kind of goal oriented and um, very specific, whereas now it's become more about I allow, um, I, you know, I am re- I'm ready to receive that kind of vibe or I am guided. And a perfect example I lived this summer was that I really wanted to go to Paris this summer and I was kind of making all these visualizations of being there. And then there was lots of riots, and I thought maybe it's not the not, it's not maybe it's not the right time to go to Paris. And then I just surrendered the idea of Paris and just thought I just want to travel. I want to you know have a, had a, non, a more non-specific goal. And then out of the blue, I get a message from my family telling me that they are all going to Ireland for a big a reunion. And I thought, wow, I'm going to go as well. So I ended up going to Ireland and Edinburgh. And that's when I met Tabitha Rain in person, which was fascinating. And I got her toy, and that's how we've you know created this interview today all because of that encounter and um, yeah so I had a non-specific goal and ended up going to Edinburgh which is something that was, that was, it was never on my list um, at all and then going to the UK as well so I mean to Manchester um, so yeah it was kind of nice to see something non-specific unfold and and trusting that the right thing will come and this is something that I I intend to do more and more of I'm going to do my own surrender experiment and just really work with the affirmation what's mine will come to me. I want to read a little bit of this a little extract for you from this book. Um, surrender, what an amazingly powerful word. It often engenders the thought of weakness and cowardice. In my case, it required all the strength I had to be brave enough to follow the invisible 
into the unknown. And that is exactly what I was doing. It's not that surrender gave me clarity about where I was going. I had no idea where it would lead me. But surrender did give me clarity in one essential area. My personal preferences of like and dislike were not going to guide my life. By surrendering the hold of those powerful forces that those powerful forces had on me, I was allowing my life to be guided by a much more powerful force, life itself. And that is from the book I'm reading now, which is The Surrender Experiment, My Journey into Life's Perfection by Michael A. Singer. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's Guided Affirmations Meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. the journey. 
Are you looking for a new sex toy? If you are, go to satisfier.com and you can use the code VENUS to get 30% off anything on the satisfier.com website. So check it out. VENUS for 30% off satisfier.com. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening, have an orgasmic week, and make sure every day is a climax.